All right, what have we been talking about here lately? Anybody tell me? Discipleship, Jesus, going beyond the second mile, right? What it means to go beyond the second mile, seeing how Jesus discipled his disciples, and then based on all of that, how we are as disciples to the world. And last week we talked about six things, six, six natural habits or six natural things that, that, that maybe can flow from a person who is trying to be like Jesus. And basically what did it boil down to? I and mean, Bill was talking to me at lunch after that, and it boils down to the same thing every time, right? What does it boil down to? What did you say? Looking like Jesus. Being like Jesus. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the things that we've been talking about should be a natural outpouring of who's in you. And it doesn't always happen, right? Because we're human beings, and sometimes we wake up and we, we mess up. Mm-hmm. We mess up. And we're, we're sheep, right? And we, we wander off. We get scared, get lost. Yeah, it's, it's easy to do. So we've got to keep these things in mind. And like Bill was reminding us this morning, we, Jesus has called us to follow him. If we follow him, then these things that we've been talking about should be a natural outpouring of who we are. And I'm hoping that, that I'm that way. I know I struggle with that. I'm sure you struggle with that. But more often than not, we should be people that look like, talk like, sound like, act like Jesus. When we talk to anybody or interact with anybody, that's what should be coming out of us. People should notice a difference in us. So, this morning we're going to talk about seven natural habits that come from the six natural. So, this morning, I told you last week that this was when I was sitting in the, the meeting, the, the monthly planning meeting, and one of the discipleship videos that we had been watching, he talked about seven natural habits. And as soon as I heard those seven natural habits... I thought, oh, that, that, that would make a good sermon in and of itself. And then before that, the six natural things that, that flow from being like Jesus and discipling like Jesus flow into these seven things. So if you were there two weeks ago, um, you'll, you'll probably remember these natural habits. But I wanted to talk to you about them a little bit more this morning as a body and say, how can we use these to be people that go beyond the second mile as disciples of Jesus? And show Christ to others. The first one is rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I reversed some of the order here because I, this was their last one. I, I think this was my first one. Rely on God's Spirit. Lean on Him because He's the one that ultimately does the convicting. He's the ultimately the one that, that wins the soul. I'm just a messenger. I'm just carrying the message in this jar of clay. But God is the one that's really working. God is the one that's really working on their hearts. In fact, I think even Jesus shows us that, that Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit. After he's immersed, he's got the Holy Spirit, he goes out to the desert. Things start happening when the Spirit and Jesus are getting together there. He's relying on the Holy Spirit. And you, If you go over to Acts chapter 1, what happens to the disciples after Jesus dies and is risen again? And he comes back there, and the disciples say, hey, what about the kingdom now on the... Still got the wrong picture of the kingdom in Acts chapter 1. But hey, what about it now? And Jesus says, uh, don't worry about those things. You need to go to Jerusalem and wait. And they go to Jerusalem and wait. And what happens towards the end of chapter 1? 
Anybody? The Holy Spirit shows up in a dramatic way. And the disciples that were just asking about, hey, what, what about the kingdom of God here? What, what about the time? When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel here? Are now preaching, Peter and the rest of the apostles are now preaching what in chapter 2? Yes, what, what is this? If you were to sum this, 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 this sermon up, what would you say it is? The first what? Jesus is risen. It's, it's been the first gospel sermon you're going to hear in the book of Acts. Peter is, is standing up and saying, you had him killed. He was the Messiah. He's not here anymore. He's been risen. And now I'm calling you to repentance. It says first gospel sermon. But it doesn't happen without the Spirit, does it? Because the disciples don't know what to preach before that. Disciples don't, don't know what they're doing exactly before the Spirit comes and takes care of this, this, this gap problem here that they had. And the Spirit itself, Himself, excuse me, over to John chapter 16, when Jesus is getting His disciples ready to accept the fact that He's going to be leaving, He tells them some things about the Spirit. He tells them some comforting things that, that are going to take them from His death, His burial, His resurrection on and in verse uh, 8 through 10, he says, And he, speaking about the Spirit, he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Boom. He's saying the Spirit, he's not just this passive force this thing he's 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 real he's a he and he's working he's working then do you believe he's working now so the first thing on my seven natural habits here of people who go beyond the second mile is i need to rely on him i need to rely on god i need to rely on the spirit that he's put in me that is going to convict the world of sin when you see that that person's eyes open up when you're studying with them it's not because you said something perfectly it's because the Spirit has finally had that chance to hit their heart. Their eyes are opened up. Now, we are definitely important to this, but the glory goes to the Spirit, to God, not to us. In fact, even in the book of Acts, after the apostles in chapter 2 start understanding what, what God's mission really is and what Jesus is really talking about, the Spirit works all throughout the book of Acts it should be maybe the Acts of the Spirit rather than the Acts of the Apostles. But the Acts, in, in chapter 13 of Acts, the Spirit starts showing the, uh, the missionary part of this, this Spirit here. They're going out, they're going out all over the place. But in 13, 1 and 2, in the church of Antioch there, there's prophets and teachers, it says, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, what happens? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit says something. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit himself is, is taking action here and saying, I'm, I'm sending you somewhere. He is... He is someone we need to rely on. Someone I need to rely on. If, if I'm thinking that this is all about me, or it's, it's my excellent Bible study skills that, that will get you to the water, it's my 1 through 10 that has the, the answers to all of your questions, 
No, it's not. And, and, and even 1 through 10 may not get your questions answered because your 1 through 10 may be different than somebody else's 1 through 10. You're in a different spot. So I'm going to need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help me as I teach you. And I'm going to need Him to work on you so that He gets you. If you go over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and look at this, this Spirit, this Jesus, this Spirit, all working together. You probably know this description by heart, right? The, for the Word of God in verse 12. Look at how he describes the Word of God. What is it? It is living, right? Active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Look at those five descriptions there. Living, active, sharper, piercing, and judge. All of these things. This Holy Spirit, this Word, Jesus Himself, all of these things combined together, working on the hearts of men as we do what we're supposed to do, go beyond the second mile, be disciples of Jesus, and carry that treasure in these jars of clay to people and present them with this information and let the Holy Spirit do this stuff, work on them. So the first thing for me is rely on the Holy Spirit, rely on on God, rely on the Holy Spirit, rely on Him working, because I'm not going to do it. It's not going to be enough. Just like I can't save myself, I can't save you either. It's going to be Him. Second thing is to use Jesus' strategy. Now this kind of goes back to last the last sermon that I had, the six other things. And I'm going to recap those for you. If you weren't here, I'll recap the six things that, that I think are in Jesus' strategy of discipling and modeling. Number one for the six things was it was all about Jesus. All about Him. That's kind of where we started here. It's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus. It's never about us. Number two was Jesus is the model. He is the model for everything. If we want to know how to be a disciple, Jesus is the model. If we want to know how we are to treat our brothers and sisters, Jesus is the model. And what was His model? What was number three? Does anybody remember what number three was? Relational. His model is relational. It is, it is about relationships. It's about getting together. It's about eating with people. It's about talking with people. It's about touching people. He touches lepers. He touches people's lives. It's about relational things. The fourth one was Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are working. I have to remember that. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's them working. And because they're working, what was the next one? Anybody got that one? Follow their lead. Because they're working, we follow their lead. Where, are they, where is he going to lead you today? Like Bill said in the class this morning, when you get up and you ask Jesus, where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do today? Who are you going to put in my path today? They're, they're working. It's my job to follow his lead, to walk in the Spirit. And then the last one there, sometimes it feels like failure. Yeah, sometimes we don't... You never see the end result of, of someone that you're working with. You never see things happening. And it feels like failure, but at the same time, God can take that what we perceive as failure and turn it into a gigantic win for Him. So if it's, I'm using Jesus' strategy. Though I, I think that those six things stem from looking at Jesus as a model for all of this. The ultimate goal of using Jesus' strategy is, is to do what He says. He says, go and do likewise, right? At the end of, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the end, go and do likewise. Just go and do. Go and do what I have done. 
Go and do what you see me doing. That's what he did for his disciples. That's what his disciples tried to pass down to us. So we do what Jesus does. That's number two. Number three is disciple in culturally relevant ways. Now that might sound a little sketchy. But I think Jesus discipled in culturally relative, re, relevant ways. I think he knew what he needed, how he needed to connect to people. I think the reason he told the parables he told is because that connected with the people at the time. One of the, time, one of the reasons I think I have a hard time understanding sometimes his parables is because it connects really well with them. But I'm going to have to do a little more thinking here to figure out how does that connect with me? And, and what do I do with that? I think he did disciple and, 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 and reach out to people in very relevant ways, very culturally relevant ways. But how do we do that? Does anybody have any thoughts or comments on how we do that? Ooh, somebody's in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. Does anybody, I mean, how do we, how do we disciple in culturally relevant ways? I got all the time in the world, so. Yeah, I, w- I want to hear it. I'm, I'm asking, how do we disciple in culturally relevant ways? What would your idea be of a culturally relevant way to disciple? I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm just talking about changing the method that we approach this message with. What opportunities do we have today that, that would be culturally relevant to be able to reach out to people? That's always a good idea, right? Positive things on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook's a powerful tool. We could use that. I'm in charge of the Facebook page for, for Orchard. I stink at it. I do, yes, yes, I do. Especially for those who actually use the you know, Facebook. I don't use it. I hate it. And so I'm, I'm not the right guy for that thing. If anybody is the right guy or girl for that thing, I'd love to know. And I'd like to let you do that because I don't want to do it, to be honest with you. I don't do it well. But it is a good tool to reach out to people. That's a good one. Anybody else? Hey. How you started out walking like God. Walking like God? Walking like God. Okay. Okay. Walking like Him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay, so ultimately getting down to know the individual. Okay. Good. Nobody else? It's it's an interesting question, I think. What does it mean to be culturally relative in our discipleship, in our disciple making? And are we are we trying to knock doors still? But some places you can't knock doors anymore. A lot of people don't want their doors knocked anymore, so what do we do? How do you change that? There aren't tent meetings anymore. What do you do? How do you change that? How do you, how do you, how do you grow and evolve with the culture and stay relative without changing the message? Because the message, you, you can't touch the message. But we can change how we deliver the message. We can change how we approach the message or approach people with the message. So maybe think about that because it's, there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there that, that I don't know, that you might know, and we can reach out in ways that we haven't reached out before. 
and disciple and begin a, a relationship with people, bring them in through Facebook, bring them in through other avenues, and just and start a relationship there. But that will be because it's culturally relative, because people are using it, because millennials love it, or whatever generation you want to. Sure. Yeah. You mean like a VBS? Is that what you're saying? Or or a Bible camp like out of Delano? But yeah, either one I think would be a good thing to do. Sure. There's there's a lot of different avenues we could use, right? You can approach it in a lot of different ways. It just do you have a passion for it? Do you have a passion for Facebook? If you do, that would be great. You'd be able to do it. I don't have a passion for that. I struggle with that. So where's your passion? How do you how do you disciple in culturally relative ways? That's number three. Okay, so number four is we got to make discipleship a lifestyle. For me, it has not always been a lifestyle. It's been a a program. We're going to get together and we're going to do this evangelistic program. The rest of it is kind of maintaining my status as a Christian or maintaining your status as a Christian. It's a maintaining lifestyle. It's not a discipleship lifestyle where I am actively out there showing you my life, getting into your life, and getting into other people's lives. It, it, they said on, their, on their, their list, don't leverage meetings, leverage rhythms, which I found very interesting. Don't leverage meetings, leverage rhythms. And I think the rhythm thing for me comes down to my lifestyle. Where am I in life? Everybody has a different rhythm in their life. You're up, you're down, you're all over the place. Where are you? And Jesus had his own rhythm, too. In the book of Mark, there are like nine separate journeys where he takes either just himself or his disciples away and spends a spiritual retreat in the, in the book, Gospel of Mark. Nine separate times where he does that. There's a rhythm to his, his spending alone time and then being with others. And the alone time is spent with God. It's not just alone. It's with God. But he's spending alone time with him or his disciples. He's discipling them. Or he and God are, are spending alone time together, and then you come back to regular life, and you minister, and you, and you disciple, and you, and you live among the people. How do you make discipleship a lifetime? And that's, that's kind of like the book of, of 1 John. Um, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You know this section probably pretty well from 5 to 10, talking about... Fellowship with God, fellowship with Jesus, walking in the light as He is in the light. Verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that if we confess, is a, it's not a, a one-time confession. This is a, a lifestyle of confessing, an ongoing confessing. If I am walking in with Him, then I am practicing confessing my sins to Him. It's that, that word, Homologio, that I'm saying the same thing that God is saying. That God is saying this is, this is wrong, and I'm saying I agree with you. I agree that this is wrong. I'm going to say the same thing you are, and I'm going to live a life of confession, which is why John can say, you know, if we're living this kind of life, we're not sinning. Do we sin? Yes, we sin, but we're not practicing sin. We're not living in sin. We are living in the light. We make mistakes, but we are confessing as we go. We are saying, I agree with you, God, that was wrong. It is this lifestyle. And discipleship is just like this lifestyle, I think. A lifestyle of discipleship leads to, number five, using simple patterns and practices. 
Jesus kind of kept it pretty much simple. He didn't describe a huge process of getting in. It's, it's, it's simple in one way. But when we understand the message, it's also a very life-changing message. He's saying, this is all you have to do. I've paved the way for you. But that also means I have to change everything about me. I've got to stop saying I want what I want. And I've got to stay, say I want what you want. I'm going to have to change my life here. That, that, that's, that's simple and yet complex at the same time. And the message itself is simple and yet complex at the same time. I think there's a paradox there of simple and complex. But the Bible's I, I think we can use it very simply. How do you describe it? You get into their lives, right? And you meet them where they are. We don't have this complex rules and all these things. You have to jump through these hoops. What do you got to do? You got to understand who Jesus is, that he came to die for your sins and that you are in need of his forgiveness. That in and of itself is pretty simple. How do you produce that? How do you show them that? Let's get simple. Let's keep it simple, stupid, right? That kiss stuff. Keep it simple. Keep it as simple as possible, which will help us reproduce it even better, I think. So how do you keep it simple? Where do you meet people? Do you meet them at the grocery stores? Do you meet them at Starbucks? Just keep it simple. Keep it down to where I'm going. Jesus, where are you taking me today? Well, where are you going? You might meet them filling up at the gas station. Who knows? Keep it simple. Just let him lead you and keep it simple. Number six, number six, you mean, is the art of hospitality. Anybody have a home and do you use it actively for hospitality? I've got a home. I don't actively use it for hospitality. You? I got one yes, a silent yes. Anybody else? No? That's all right. Yes. Well, good. If you do, great. If you don't, why not? And I also was thinking, when I got to this one, I wrote down, Jesus had no home. How do we look at Jesus and see hospitality in him? He didn't have anywhere to invite people back to. He didn't say, come on over to my villa. Yeah, he said, follow. So how does Jesus model hospitality? He fed them. Yeah. He healed them. Okay. There's feeding and healing. He would share a meal with them. Well, yes, he was definitely gracious as a guest, unless you were a Pharisee, and then he kind of put you in your place. <laughs> yeah. No, he was. And he did go to other people's homes, too, didn't he? He went to other people's homes, and he, and he was there. But it's interesting. You don't have a home? I can't be hospitable? Oh, no, I think if Jesus can do it, then we can do it. We don't necessarily have to have a house, and the house doesn't have to look that great. And you don't even have to use a house to be hospitable. You can do other things to be hospitable. To show hospitality to people. So it's, it's, it's not that hard, but you just got to have, have the active, I guess, imagination to think of what, what is hospitality outside of entertaining somebody at your home. Write letters. Meet for coffee somewhere. Pray for somebody. Pray with somebody. Do a whole bunch of stuff that shows, I, I'm willing to spend time with you. I'm willing to have you in my life. I'm willing to be around you. Not necessarily in my home because it's dirty and, and you don't want to come over. But other places. 
So our art of hospitality, number six. And number seven is we're going to end up where we started off at the very beginning. Prioritize Jesus over everything. Everything else. Who do we walk like? This is a question for you again. Who do we walk like? Who do we talk like? Who do we act like? It's all about Jesus. That's who it's about. It's about relying on the Spirit. It's about knowing that they're working. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are working, letting them lead us and being ready and open and willing to do what we need to do when He opens that door in front of us. This, the, these two lists that aren't really lists because it boils down to Jesus. To be like Jesus. That's all it boils down to. That's all we need to look like. That's all we need to talk like. That's all we need to sound like. In fact, I want to end this lesson here. Um, the reason Ron was giving me this note is because I asked him foolishly I wanted to lead a song at the end of this lesson. Uh, and I, I'm just going to display it on the screen, but it's not, it's not going to be able to display on the screen, so we're going to have to use the books. But I'd like you to turn to 119 in your books. We're looking like Jesus, we're talking like Jesus, we're acting like Jesus. That's who people should see, that's who people should encounter when they encounter us. And, and living a lifestyle of, of being a disciple of Christ, the one that goes beyond the second mile. Those first two verses in John chapter 3, which is where that song comes from, I want to read you those two verses. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has appeared, it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. We are children of God, and He has made us children of God. And I think He's calling us to examine the kind of love that He has for us. When He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, He's asking us to examine my, my love. See what my love looks like. And then you turn around and you love others the same way. So in John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, as, as the author is continuing to examine that love, verses 9 and 10, I think, is where I want to end this morning with this song and with these thoughts about His love for us. It says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but what? He loved us. And what did He do because He loved us? Sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Literally, in verse 9, He's saying... By this, the love of God is invested in us. He invested His love in you and me. And because He invested His love in you and me, what do we do? We turn around and we love others. And John says you should love one another. But it's not just the love one another. Remember from last week, it's love the world. For God so loved the world. And we get to turn around and show people 
that kind of love again. We examine that love. He invested that love in us. We get to show that kind of love. I didn't grab a songbook. Does everybody have 119? Yeah? All right. It's, it says it's around, but we're not going to do it in a round because I'm not that adventurous. And, and I don't, you guys don't, don't follow me very well when I lead singing because I'm not a good song leader to begin with. So we're going to sing it together, no rounding here. And I wouldn't mind if you would stand up with me as we sing it. And sing it through at least three times, I think, because we'll get it. First time will be kind of new, the second time will be better, and the third time will be just glorious. But think about that. As we, as we sing these, these words here, the, the love that the Father has manifested and invested in us is the love that we turn around and show others. Let's sing about that love before we go. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Now go and do likewise.